I don't have a fancy intro for you this week. This is not an episode I, I ever wanted to make. In fact, it was an episode I predicted I would never be making. And I'm going to have to think about where I went wrong. Maybe I was too cynical. Maybe I wasn't cynical enough. But on this show, I predicted that when Joe Biden took office, within about the first year of his presidency, they'd start turning the dials back on for the economy, turning things back up, warming the economy back up from the corona lockdowns. It seemed pretty easy to me. You know, you go from zero, which we went to when we went to a lockdown, and you start opening places back up, you're going to have great job numbers. You're going to have a, a booming economy. Like, the numbers would be obvious. The checks would write themselves. That's what I said on the show, that it was going to be a boom number. As it expect boom numbers. It's going to be it's going to be gangbusters. But instead, we got the exact opposite. We have a real witch's brew of issues that are mixing all around the world. We're going to focus on the United States mostly today. But it's all around the world. A witch's brew of economic headwinds of historical proportions. And I'm going to lay some of that out. And I think we have to start by touching the third rail. We're just going to get this out of the way. These requirements work. And as the business roundtable others told me when I announced the first requirement, that encouraged businesses to feel they could come in and demand the same thing of their employees. More people are getting vaccinated. More lives are being saved. Let's be clear. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs. Hundreds, he says, because he doesn't want to make it sound as bad as it is. Look at the bigger story. I've spoken with Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, who's here today. United went from 59% of their employees to 99% of their employees in less than two months. Now, that's a bit of a wiggle number because it also involves people leaving, people quitting, and people getting fired. It's still, it's still overall a big gain. But if you, if you flip this around a little bit and do what all of us should be doing and try to see this from someone else's perspective, if you think about this from somebody who views a vaccine mandate as a mandate from the federal government to take a medical procedure, this is a dark speech. And it's funny because so many of Trump's speech, so many of his speeches were considered dark. And people called out sort of the abrasive, coercive language he might use. And I think the reason that happened is because so many in the establishment media are coming at it from a left perspective. And so when Trump would use those words, they would get triggered and they would call him out. But Joe Biden is using the language of the left. Even though he's a corporatist at his core, he's using the language of the left, and so they don't call out these words. But if, if you're listening to this speech from the position of, say, oh, I don't know, maybe a seventh month or a, a, you know, a, a newly pregnant mother who is concerned about shellfish and lunch meat right now, like she won't even put that in her body, and now she's being told to take a vaccine, and she's hesitant. She's hesitant. She doesn't know if it is the right thing to do. She's heard so many scary things. And now she hears the president of the United States gloating about these mega heartless corporations mandating a medical procedure that she's afraid could harm her baby. After implementing the requirement, 99%. And by the way, Scott, I want you to know I've instructed the Justice Department to make sure that we deal with the violence on aircraft coming from those people who are taking issues. We're going to deal with that. That also is ominous. 
when you listen to the way he says it, that's actually a pretty ominous thing to come from the president of the United States. It says that the might of the federal government is going to come down on what are likely downtrodden, lower end middle class people or higher end middle class people who think too much of themselves that are just having a rough time of it. It's been a bad couple of years. And now the federal government is going to come down on them. The frickin' FBI. In the last days of their implementation, they cut the remaining number of employees left to get vaccinated in half. They went from 67,000 United employees to 66, of 67,000, 66,800 complied. People chose to get vaccinated. That's why we're seeing more companies signing up. I recently met with the CEOs of Disney, Microsoft, who you're familiar with here, Walgreens, to hear about their requirements. The Business Roundtable represents 200 of the largest businesses in the world and has championed vaccination requirements to keep businesses open and workers safe. <clears throat> America's largest aerospace companies, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, who I met with yesterday, the chairman of the board, Northrop Grumman, they all just announced plans to implement vaccination requirements. <clears throat> Even this I always get a kick out of. Fox News. <laughs> Fox News requires vaccinations for all employees. Give me a break. Fox News. And over the past week, we've... Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I think... Let's put aside if you think the mandate's a good idea or not. I think, you know, my personal opinion, just so it's, you know, all my biases are out there. I'm, I'm coming around to the point where I don't think necessarily it is, but I don't think it is simply because it's not it's not effective enough to warrant a mandate that sets such a precedence like this, because it's really creating. This is where I look at it. Right. My perspective is looking at it from a corporations and federal governments working hand in hand and the precedent that this is setting because I, I like to play the little mental game, and I invite you to do the same. Just think about this for a moment. Say Donald Trump had won the election. First of all, can you imagine how much constant gloating he'd be doing about how beautiful and how great this vaccine is that he helped personally make, right? We would be constantly inundated with that, so it'd be very obnoxious. And I would imagine there would actually be, as far as the right is concerned and Trump is concerned, even less room for discussion about its efficacy. And I would imagine... People would be on the left pretty freaked out by that, and they wouldn't trust a vaccine from Donald Trump. And I don't need to play you the montage of all the Democrats during the election who said they don't trust the, tr the vaccine. I know you've seen those, or you can go look them up if you want to hear it, but it was all of them. They were all playing politics at the time, and a vaccine success would have been a Trump success, so they were down-talking the vaccine. Now Biden's owning it. And now... Now they're, they're all good, right? But if you play that mental game, if instead Trump had won the election and Trump was out there telling you to take the vaccine all the time, then how would you feel about Donald Trump calling up Boeing and others, Raytheon, etc., and talking to them about mandating the vaccine, his beautiful vaccine? You might have a different perspective on it. And I think the point is, is if you let one president do it, the next president's going to do it. We've seen that with the NSA spying programs. We saw that with the drone programs. Even when they violate the Constitution, there's just a precedence that gets set that once you give the president that tool, they use it all the time. And it's just going to be Democrat or Republican. And when it happens under your guy, you're good with it. But when the next guy comes in and he's not your guy, then it's a big deal. And we see everybody freak out. And what... Instead, we could just, you know, nip that thing in the bud right now <laughs> and just not do it. Now, 
That all said, that all said, if this vaccine was truly 99%-ish effective, like they originally said it was, and if it was showing significant effectiveness against Delta variant, which Pfizer and Merck just both co-sponsored two different studies, even with their own advisors on the study, show at best it's 66-ish a range percent effective against Delta. And that's with their own money funding the study for their own product. I have links to all of that in the show notes. If this thing was more in the 90-ish, 95%-ish range, then I could justify this one path only, this one solution only, this one size fits all problem solving for COVID. Then I could accept it because what a great tool. We could stop this thing before we got a bunch of variants brewing. Let's go. But instead, what we have is a vaccine that is less effective than we'd like to admit. People can still spread the vaccine and people can still get very sick despite what they say. My mom, who is fully vaccinated, and has been for probably almost three months now. So she should even be in like the most effective period of the vaccine, actually. She got horrifically sick over the last three weeks with COVID. And my stepbrother, who is 16, 17, you know, that age range, 15, also was vaccinated. There's a story there. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh -huh. He also got sick. Now, he did not get it as bad as mom did. But she got it real bad. She's still recovering right now. She, I mean, she got it scary. And she went into the hospital and they told her it wasn't bad enough to stay. So go home and take some ibuprofen. That's what, that's what they told mom to do. In, 20, in, in almost the end of 2021, that's still what they're telling people to do. They didn't say anything about vitamins or hydration or sleep or proper diet. Nothing. And then, of course, what happens is all the witch doctors in the neighborhood come over to my mom's house and they give her like their, you know, back market, uh, you know, drugs and solutions and vitamins like like ivermectin to, to, to combat this thing. And I don't think she chose to take any of it except for the vitamins. But, you know, um, she's pretty upset that she went through all the hassle of the vaccine and still got this sick. And so when when you have and we all if we maybe don't want to admit it, but we all know some somebody who got the vaccine has gotten sick. Some of them have been just fine. Some of them have really hardly even had any symptoms. In fact, I know somebody who didn't even know he was sick, but he tested positive. Of course, that was also the case with COVID itself. And so when we look at the effectiveness and we look at the risk and we look at the age ranges, a lot of the people who are most at risk for getting sick are just at the end of their re uh, work life cycle or retired. I don't know if it actually is worth all of the negative. But then again, see, from my perspective, we shouldn't be just doing a one solution to the COVID problem because it was idiotic to consider that 100% of humanity would accept a vaccine. Fundamentally, there is just a distrust of the medical and government establishments. There was never going to ever be 100% or even 90% compliance. It was never in the cards. It's just human nature. And so you can you can plan for how you'd like the world to be or you can actually plan and execute on the world on how it actually is. And Joe Biden says we got to look at the bigger picture here. Let's be clear. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs, look at the bigger story. And he's right. It isn't just a vaccine mandate. That's silly. In fact, that may even be a very small portion of it. You imagine you're going to have handfuls of people who refuse to get the vaccine at various companies 
in totality, it may add up to several thousand, maybe even more jobs, but it's not it's not what's going to tank the economy. It is a bit of a wanting to have both ways kind of situation, though, with the White House, where they want to be tough on Corona and they want to solve these problems. They want to be tough on the vaccine, have a very perennial attitude towards it. While at the same time, they want to have economic growth and booming and they want to pass five trillion dollars worth of spending. Uh, the president's trying to have it uh, all ways. This is Steve Forbes. Yeah, the guy at Forbes. He points it out, what I just said, basically, but he knows what he's talking about. Uh, his whole thing on uh, vaccines is very confusing. Uh, people don't like the coercion part of it, and it is leading to uh, people getting fired. Here we have health workers being laid off at a time when there's a shortage of them. Airlines, same thing. And uh, so uh, the, the Delta variant, that hurt in September, and this vaccine mandate's also going to hurt. This is something I'd really like your feedback on. Unfiltered.show slash Discord. Help me understand this. How is it okay now to fire all these health workers who are not getting vaccinated when the entire reason we ever locked down was to prevent overwhelming the healthcare system? O preventing the overwhelming of the healthcare system was so critical, we instituted China like nationwide lockdowns. It was two weeks to help stop the curve. Remember, right? Two weeks to help stop that. And that what was that? What was what was that curve? That curve was our hospital system getting overwhelmed at the top of that curve. I mean, it was of it was of the utmost national importance, no higher priority at the moment because we had no vaccine. We had no other solution. We weren't being told to wear masks. It was lockdown. Before there was masks, it was locked down to help the hospital systems. But now, now it's fine to lay them off and fire them after, after they slaved away on the front, on the front lines of COVID, being our angels and our heroes, as President Biden said. Now it's fine to just fire them. And can we maybe also ask them why so many health workers are not getting the vaccine? Could it be that maybe while they were working on those front lines, they got sick? And now they have natural immunity. Could that be because they had to work on the front lines before there was a vaccine? Maybe they maybe they have natural immunity, but we're not allowed to have that conversation either because that cannot be part of the solution. Only the vaccine can be part of the solution. But the real problem is not just that we're laying people off for the vaccine. And it's it's not just that we have this really unsolvable supply chain problem that seems to be a knock on effect of the lockdowns and the. And then a surge in demand when there isn't actual capacity to produce the demand now that people are driving and going back to work. But we we just have a lot of dynamics that are creating economic pressures. And one of the ones that I don't think is solvable by by Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Is that some people are just not going to go back to their jobs. Those jobs are gone now. My wife ran an acupuncture clinic before the covid lockdowns. Her acupuncture clinic was closed. And then it was extended, that closure, and then it was extended. And then she went out of business. And people are not really fond on coming back because she had what was called a community style acupuncture where there'd be five or six people in a room. It was a big room, but you're in there with five or six strangers getting acupuncture. And it brings the cost of the acupuncture care down quite a bit, but it, it means you're in a room with somebody else. It's a dark room, but it was just on. It was not. It was just unallowed. That and that is gone now. In fact, the building even sold that she ran her clinic out of because 
well, everybody, all their tenants were gone. So now the the building sold to some church that's going to turn it into office staff for their church. So she has no building to even run her practice out of. And most of the people now have just kind of moved on and they're doing other things. Um, she's trying to actually still sort that out. Just like that job's just never coming back for her. And there's also people who who just had a year at home and realized, boy, I sure like being around my kids. Maybe I don't want to commute two hours a day. I mean, you could even see it in in podcast download numbers. People are not commuting like they used to. Or the commute behaviors, I would say, have changed. It's like there are still a lot of drivers now. Things have shifted, and people's priorities have shifted. And the labor market is just a mess as a result. Things are coming down pretty rapidly. We just have this wow. jobs report. Steve, what do you see? 194. Whoa. I see 194,000. That is real low. And we just had one of the worst jobs reports ever. And you would think you would think things could be turning back up because that unemployment insurance, that extra bit of money on unemployment, that ran out about a month ago. So supposedly that was what was keeping everybody out of work was they were making too much money off unemployment. That's gone. There is still a child tax credit that's paying people more than it used to. But if that's what's keeping people out of the workforce, that means they're choosing to live on the poverty line than go to these kinds of jobs. And even CNN is struggling to figure out once again how to spin these bad numbers for the Biden administration. On Off the Presses, a brand new jobs report, a look at the state of the economy. Chief Business Correspondent Christine Romans with the new details. What does it say? All right, let me just run through the top line numbers for you here, John, because it's a real brain teaser. 194,000 net new jobs added, way less, way less than anybody expected, and less than last month and the worst of the year. And the worst hit minorities. Actually, women. Women have been the worst hit in all of this. As a knock-on effect of all of these policies to protect us, we've actually harmed women the most in the workplace. And you got to figure some of that is just a shift in the jobs, the availability jobs, like my wife was in a care job that's now gone. Some of that might be people have reevaluated their life and they want to spend time with family. The key thing here is I know a lot of people are probably reacting thinking, see, this is what happens when blue states shut down. This is what happens when Joe Biden puts in a vaccine mandate. Um, something that you and Crystal should cover later yeah. in the week. Is this is Sagar and Marshall on Breaking Points. This whole story about um, the air, Southwest Airlines and like oh, possible right, strikes right. that could go. be happening. The point is, all of these things are coming together. And even without a vaccine mandate, even without a mask debate, even without whatever California or New York or DC are doing, there's all these things that are coming together. And another part of this data that's so interesting is the fact that there's this white collar blue collar divergence here when it comes to coming back to work. For you and I, we have these white collar professions. We're in media. This yeah. is this is really working. great. Right. We're very flexible. We're doing everything remotely. But if you are the type of person, this was covered in some of the Washington Post reporting, there's this guy who used to have this really awesome job where he would install alarm systems in old folks' homes and old folks' houses. He really enjoyed it. He liked talking mm -hmm. to people. And he's saying to himself, I can't have that job anymore. That job collapsed. I don't want to just go work in retail right now. And even without the unemployment um, expansion, right. he is just going to continue trying to find something that really fulfills him. So trying to have a system where people can feel like, hey, can I find work that's fulfilling to me? Can I accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish in my life has been a really important point. And that is the part that no policymaker, Democrat, Republican, local, national, has anything to do with. You can't fix that. And then you have the problem of goods. So you have a you have like a psychological reevaluation the workforce is going through amongst many many other factors, but that's absolutely one of them. 
It happens after every major recession. We saw it happen in 2008. But you have the goods. You have the supply shortage. And if you want a really interesting way to follow this, you can zoom in on the lumber industry. Just watch the lumber industry. Anyone who's trying to build anything right now knows exactly what I'm talking about. It has been an indicator of where the market is going and where it is going to end up since the beginning of the COVID crisis. And lumber prices, everybody eventually heard about lumber prices going way, 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 way up. What you haven't heard is that they actually then went way, way down. People bought like crazy, people got back in, and now they're shooting way back up. And lumber futures, yes, there is such a thing, are reflecting that. So you have a shortage on supplies. Then when supplies begin to enter back in the market, people buy them up like crazy, which creates another shortage. And we have this cycle that we just can't get out of. And it is going to, and it already is, contributing to significant inflation, along with a worker shortage that is driving employers to increase wages, for better or for worse, which is going to increase the cost of their goods, which will be passed on to consumers. Prices rising at the fastest rate since 2008. Everything from washing machines up almost 30 percent to furniture up 11 percent and television sets up 8 percent. Companies are discovering they can go ahead and hike prices at will. Yeah, why not? There's no check and balances in place right now. Hike the prices because people will pay for them because what we have now is a society of the haves and have nots. The haves will be just fine. They might be a little more uncomfortable on the lower end of the have scale, but in the mid to higher end have scale, they're going to just price this in. Maybe they buy one less car that year. They're going to be fine. But the have nots are going to be hurting worse than ever. And there are more have nots than ever. I have to say, one of the reasons I've been having a hard time doing this show is it was rough on that road trip. I I have not driven up and down the West Coast in a while. Well, I guess a couple of years or since the lockdown. There are so many more homeless people. There is so many more people that have fallen out of society. What we have on the West Coast, and maybe it's like this on the East Coast, but what we have on the West Coast is a meta city of homeless that spans the entire West Coast. And it's so sad. It, it has been hard to do this show, to be honest, because we're so much worse than anybody is willing to say or talk about. And nobody, nobody wants to believe it. But when you go out there and then I was in places in New Mexico that look like Mad Max, that honestly look like society collapsed 15, 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. And it's only gotten worse. There's absolutely parts that are great, and beautiful and shiny. You know, that's the dichotomy of America right now. And the thing that really got me down, the thing that I, I think was the most upsetting is when I looked at energy prices because the knock-on effect of energy prices is just so disastrous when they go up, especially for a struggling economy. And I think it's another part of this witch's brew. Let's cover energy prices right now as well because that's been a huge part of the story. Brian Sullivan's here, and he's been tracking this really closely. He's got a, a great look for us right now at a lot of the catalysts for why this is happening. Hey, Brian. Yeah, Becky, good morning. How much time do you have? I mean, uh, <laughs> what's not the catalyst? I mean, in the United States, obviously, we've got boosting demand. We've got reduced supply in some cases. Oil production has not gone up the level that demand has gone up. I mean, if you look at traffic statistics in many cities, we are seeing traffic now above even pre-pandemic levels, 
Nobody's taking mass transit. Everybody's driving. And so we are seeing gasoline demand on the rise. Well, not quite at records, but still up. But a bigger story around the world. And I think that, again, and we're not, you know, sort of harping on this too much because you can't harp on it too much. Let's talk about Europe. In Europe, they are seeing natural gas prices, in some cases, 25 or 30 U.S. dollars equivalent. Our natural gas prices, you can see there, we're down a little bit right now. We're at five and a half bucks. So why are we at five and a half bucks and Europe at 25 or 30, with China, by the way, paying over 30 for liquefied natural gas? Well, it's a result of a couple of things. Number one, they didn't buy a lot of storage during the pandemic. Maybe it's because they underestimated the boom in demand coming out of the pandemic. Maybe they thought the pandemic might go on and lockdowns would go on longer. So they were short on storage already, guys. Now, all of a sudden, you're also seeing a shortage of some of the renewables, the wind power in Italy and in the North Sea, just not producing as much. You had a shortage level because they screwed up and didn't buy enough natural gas. Then you don't have enough power coming in. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, my gosh, are we going to have enough raw materials to power the power plants we need to start buying? And then you have climate change policies, for better or for worse, that are also putting pressure on this situation. You need you need some pressure, right, to to uh, spur movement, to spur progression, to spur improvement. But it's about applying the right pressure at the right time because we have all of these pressures coming in. And then I think Ray Dalio, he is the founder of Bridgewater. He's a, you know, he's a big mover and shaker in this space. People base their entire investment investments off of what this guy does. He's the guy that's famous for saying cash is going to become trash. That's where he stands on a lot of this stuff. But I think he's right when he points out that there are three huge historic cycles that are all playing out right now, while we also have a pandemic happening and the supply chain outcomes of that. And I think this is an interesting little bit of audio because this was at a mucky muck event that you know, one of his foundations was throwing. And a CNBC reporter happened to catch him and asked him, you know, uh, where do you think things are going right now? And he threw this three historic cycles thing out there. And I, I think he's on it. I think the relevant time frame is the next few years. Um, and I think you have to put things in the context. So there are three big forces that have been at work. And I think you have to understand those. First is the debt money thing. How much debt right. and money and what are the repercussions? How does that pass through the economy? What does that mean for markets, inflation and so on? That we're in a different era now. Zero interest rates, produce a lot of debt and monetize it. Second influence, the conflict, internal conflict over wealth, left right conflict, that conflict. And then the third is the rising of a great power in the form of China, challenging an existing great power and challenging right. the existing world order. Those three things are coming together at the same time as then we have a pandemic. So I think each one of those is a cycle. They, uh, what's happening now has not happened before in our lifetimes, but has happened in the 1930 to 45 period. I went back and studied it yes, over 500 years. And so it's that context. So I think if we're talking about anything, we should look at that within that context. Okay, let's, let's. That kind of checks out with me, I think. You know, that that's that's right. Those are the three historic trends that were happening regardless of COVID. <laughs> you know, it uh, the situation with China is just very much that. Um, and you get the sense that either this is sort of all fine by the Biden administration or they're just in total denial. When they're asked about the price of gasoline, Jen Psaki replies that, well, climate change is just an urgent of an issue as the price of gasoline. But the two are not equivalent, of course. 
And when you look at it from the perspective of the have-nots, that's a pretty cold statement to make. It's really a point of privilege from the haves to be able to say, yeah, we'll pay a lot more for something if it encourages us to go to climate change. Um, but not everybody can afford an $80,000 electric vehicle. And, you know, Elon Musk himself said that when everybody has electric cars, like when you have two electric cars to a household, that's going to double the energy use of that household. So getting people off gasoline is only part of the solution. And I don't really believe that uh, our leadership could actually get their crap together and address the issue when every home is drawing double the electricity it is drawing now. And I just don't get a sense that either either Biden is asleep at the wheel or they're in total denial. And then just going kind of big picture here, um, today we saw another jobs report that fell well below expectations, the smallest jobs gains in nearly a year. Gas prices are at a seven-year high. Inflation is up. Uh, the president is struggling to get the rest of his uh, Build Back Better agenda passed through Congress. How do you assess where things stand right now with regards to, uh, to his presidency? And, and do you see a need at this point to course correct, perhaps? We certainly don't see things as darkly as you do. Um, look, the president's focus is on on uh, leading through a challenging time. And that has been his focus from the first day he took office. Uh, if you look at the data month over month, as I noted a few minutes ago, we, he has also created 5 million jobs under his presidency. We've created an average of 500,000 jobs a month. We are at a faster rate of economic growth, a lower rate of unemployment than in quite some time. All these numbers are skewed and cooked. Like for one example, the, the low unemployment rate is low because the job market has constricted significantly. So as a total proportion, yeah, it's lower, but the job market is also smaller. So the measurements change, but she's not saying that. That's progress. That's moving exactly in the right direction. And as it, as it relates to the president's agenda, uh, we're continuing to press forward uh, with uh, members of Congress who have a broad range of views about the path forward. But we're making progress. The president remains confident. We're going to get it done. Uh, and this is what governing looks like. Do you not see today's jobs report as a warning sign in any way that perhaps the economy is not headed in the right direction, that perhaps the recovery is not going at the pace that it should be? I don't believe that's what economists are projecting at this point in time. Come on, man. Big picture here. Just big picture. We choose truth over facts. I'm going to give you the whole load today. You know the, you know the thing. Let my wife come home. So, you know, let her come home, okay? You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. This is, this is about what we can do together. You know, when he started, it really was like, maybe there's a small chance we'll unify some of us. Maybe. Uh, but now it seems that's not going to happen. Uh, people, I think, I think two things have really have broke the, um, the new relationship energy. <laughs> new, new relationship energy. <laughs> for for President Joe Biden with the American people. Uh, I think I think a lot of people were not happy, despite what gets played out in the media. I think a lot of people were not happy with how the withdrawal from Afghanistan was handled. I think people are happy to see us pull out of there. But I think they are enraged that we left behind so much equipment and that we did it in such a shitty way and that we left behind so many people and that we still, to this day, have private operations that have been left 
just people that are self-organizing, getting people out of there, rich people who can afford to, to charter flights are still trying to get people out of Afghanistan. And the Biden administration is pretending like it's not even going on. I think the American people are aware of that because a lot of the lower middle class have people, either friends or family, that are in the service. And so it resonates extremely strong with them from, you know, a the value of a service member's life perspective. I think additionally, the vaccine mandate hasn't played well with a lot of people, a lot more than we've been led to believe. And I don't think it all just comes down to because people are anti-vax. In fact, I've gotten emails from people on this show who are themselves vaccinated and feel like it shouldn't be mandated. I think that's completely reasonable. I have a very similar perspective on that. And it doesn't mean that I don't think the vaccine's effective. It just means I don't know if mandates are a good idea, especially one that's not quite as effective as we were led to believe, especially with the Delta variant. And I suspect that has led a lot of people to also kind of reframe how they see all of this. And there's undoubtedly a good portion of the middle class who feel like when the administration talks about white supremacists and nationalists, they're talking about them. The Democrat Party used to be the party of the middle class. But I think for a lot of people, They've been painting them as a big basket of deplorables for a long time, and they feel like they have turned their backs on the middle class. I'm not saying that's true for everybody, especially those of you in tech. But it, it is true for, I think, people that are in more of the classical legacy job markets, as it's going to be known, I'm sure, one day. And you get sometimes little insights into this. You, you, you know, you travel and, you, you know, when you go to multiple states, you get kind of different takes on this. That's definitely been true for me. But you also, every now and then on social media, something kind of pops up. And I'm not a big TikTok user, in fact, at all. <laughs> but weeks ago, I started seeing a video, various videos actually, more and more over time pop up. I think initially it was sporting events. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? These sporting events where you'd see crowds that were chanting, fuck Joe Biden. And at first, it would often throw off the band or the presenter. You're like, oh, Watch shit. Hide the beer. Watch Joe Biden. 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 Well, that's not nice. You know, what do you do, right? The crowd starts getting fired up. And sometimes, you know, it's not a small crowd. Sometimes at these sporting events, it's a ginormous crowd. Fuck Joe Biden. And sometimes you get crowds at bars. Not a very huge crowd, but it's a pretty packed bar. You'll see videos of the entire bar that starts chanting. once it was at the sporting events and once it was at the concerts and the bars, well, it didn't take very long for the anti-vax protesters to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, that one, as you can probably guess, was from mainstream media because they had to beep it. Uh, and uh, these old chants have made all their way up to Joe. He's uh, he's heard about it, too. And he even had it on his mind. I guess this is what he was thinking about at the 9-11 memorial. The press uh, grabbed him and asked him. 
what I'm thinking about today is what these people who, and I've got a piece of, small piece of one of the beams they have, they gave me last time, or not last time, but how many times ago. What, what are the people who died? What would they be thinking? They think this makes sense for us to be in this kind of thing where you ride down the street and someone has a sign saying F so-and-so. I mean, it's not who we are. Well, he uh, takes a long time to get to the point. Uh, and they're not driving down the street with signs, so I'm not exactly sure what message got to him, or at least what he retained of it. But it's it's interesting. And I I really could fill the entire show with different chants from different events. Uh, I have a few linked in the show notes. There's various montages you can find online of different sporting events and concerts. Some of the montages are 20, 25 minutes long, and each clip of like a, an event is like three seconds. It's just boom, boom, boom. It is insane numbers. It's entire stadiums. And it's now it's taken a turn. And it's taken a turn, which I think is just simply brilliant. If you've been following this whole thing, you know where I'm going with this. Let's go, Brandon. It came out of a NASCAR interview, and I think the reporter just genuinely... You know, she's in this she's in the zone. She's interviewing this guy. She's got earpieces and she doesn't know what's going on. And the crowd is chanting, fuck Joe Biden. Oh, my God. It's just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the, the crowd. Let's go, Brandon. Brandon, That's you right. told me you were going to kind of hang back those first two stages and just watch and learn. What did you learn that helped you there in those closing laps? Oh, my God. It was uh, learning how each line didn't uh, stay to one. It everything shifted top to bottom. So That just went like crazy online. And now, now it's turned into a let's go, Brandon chant. And the, the part of it that's brilliant is that it's very hard to censor because it's not swearing. It's it really is going it's going to take the media machine a few days to start spinning this as a right wing Trumper thing. They'll do it. Don't you worry about it. They will eventually call this a slur. They'll get there. But it's it's so great because if you take out the curse word and you just go, let's go, Brandon, for the first couple of weeks, it's been great because you could. I think that I think that happened on the ninth that interview. So and today's the thirteenth. So it's been a few days. It hasn't been weeks. Uh, people, but it works because you can say "Let's go, Brandon" on on television. You can say "Let's go, Brandon" on a sign. You can write "Let's go, Brandon" somewhere, and people don't initially think it's an attack, but it shows there's a bit of a people's movement. And I know they're going to spin it as a right wing thing. And I know that probably even damn near ninety percent of you listening will buy into that. But I tell you, it is. The people breaking up with Joe Biden. It is the end of that new relationship energy. When Joe was first elected, you really couldn't throw any shade at him. I mean, it was him and Cam Cam up there having partner press conferences and co-presidenting. And it was just great. Nobody had a bad thing to say. Even even American people really didn't have anything bad to say. And as time has gone on, as they failed to get a handle on this thing, as the economy is being tanked, as people are in a worse position than they've ever been, there's a real anger there. And while all of that is brewing, we have serious situations on the world stage. You have a massive division politically happening in, in amongst the people, and there's anger. And now that anger is being directed at Joe Biden. And it's a big shift. It's a big shift from where we ended up. And the reality is, Joe has always said the buck stops with him. 
So he needs to do something about it. He's He was going to be the great unifier. But now, it seems like we're worse off. I didn't think it'd be possible. I didn't think it would be. But more people are getting sick, and more people are fighting. But you know what gives me a little, I don't know, it, something about hearing those people chant, something about that, it, it makes me feel like people realize shit is broken. You're like, oh, shit. Hide the beer. He was never my guy. None of them usually are. That's usually how it just goes for me. But I'm all about this one. I think it's time we get we get a little pissed. I think it is. I want to speak today. That's it for me. Links at unfiltered.show slash 371. This is from the Remix Bros. Link to that song in the show notes, too. See you next time. I made the decision. The buck stops with me. I am president of the United States. The buck stops with me. And I made it clear to them. The buck stops with me. The point I'll make is this. Look, the buck stops with me. I know my decision will be criticized. There'll be plenty of time to criticize and second guess when this operation is over. I'm focused on getting this job done. I inherited a deal that President Trump negotiated with the Taliban. U.S. forces will be out of Afghanistan by May 1. I'll be straight with you. Truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. Our only vital national interest in Afghanistan remains today what it has always been. America is addicted to oil. You know, I, I talked, we've been able, we've made, look, we've we, we made clear to the Taliban. Look, um, I made the decision. The buck stops with me. I am president of the United States. The buck stops with me. And I made it clear to them. The buck stops with me. The last point I'll make is this. Look, the buck stops with me. But the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. There's no good time to leave Afghanistan. I don't know how that happens. But it reversed. That was four days ago, five days ago. What happens now in Afghanistan? Do the Taliban have changed? No. Do they want to be recognized by the international community as being a legitimate government? I'm not sure they do. You know, I, I talked. I take that responsibility seriously. I carry that burden every day. Look, um, I made the decision. The buck stops with me. I am president of the United States. The buck stops with me.